you'll take your Bibles and turn once more to Revelation 22. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And uh, I'm tempted on nights uh, where we have a business meeting to go long. <laughs> and so my prayer tonight is that I wouldn't, for your sake and for mine, but I do pray that you came here tonight to hear from the Lord, from his word, and that you would be encouraged to go out from this place loving Christ more and preaching his gospel. If you've been with us as we've gone through this passage, you've hopefully gotten a picture of how glorious our future dwelling place will be. We've seen that heaven is a physical place with physical components, that we will continually look to Christ Jesus in these physical components. Our God has made a place where we will forever drink from the river of life and we will forever eat from the tree of life. The Apostle John has saw a vision, and this vision is a vision of worship where the children of God will actually behold the face of God, the face of our Savior. And our Savior will forever be associated with us. He forever connects himself with us by writing his name on our foreheads. And tonight, we will finish this passage by seeing that in heaven, the light of God dispels all darkness. So please read with me from Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of, tree, of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I feel weak right now, Father. There are many in this room that likely feel weak. They likely see the darkness of this world, even the darkness of their own sin. They feel as if they can't con conquer it. They feel like that sin might have victory over them. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be mutually encouraged tonight to see our great Savior, Jesus, as the light of the world who's come to take away sin. Father, help us to know this truth. Help us to be good listeners. Help us to love our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Before the 16th century, the Catholic Church had been bombarded with heresy. They promoted a false gospel a works righteousness was on their lips. Worldliness and corruption had infiltrated their doors. There were so many centuries of false teachers preying on the poor, the suffering, and the ignorant. At the end of the 1400s, the literacy rate, those who could actually read among Europeans, was about 10%. Now think about that. That meant if you couldn't read, you were forced to trust the ones who could. 
And by the time of the Reformation happened, the church itself was the most influential and powerful force in the world. Yet that influence and power was full of darkness. Sin had not only seeped in, but the church had opened its gates to a wave of wickedness. But praise the Lord that God wasn't done with the true church. He wasn't done shining his light upon the true church. Martin Luther was like John the Baptist, a voice crying out in the wilderness saying, this is the way, this is the way of true salvation. This is the way of justification, justification by faith alone. And by the middle of the 16th century, the Reformation was in full force. God had given favor to the reformers. The church had come back to the true gospel. John Calvin had developed a rallying cry for the Reformation, post tenebras lux, after darkness, light. This motto went out from Geneva to all Europe and then to the rest of the world. And this was a brilliant statement because it had its roots in God's word. And here in our text, we see, we can even see that after living in a fallen, dark world, we will enter into the radiance of the glory of God where he will always shine his light upon us. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more pits or valleys, no more loneliness or despair, no more lament or sorrow, no more vile or cruel people, no more stumbling blocks that would trip us up. And on another note, there will be no more lights that go dim, no more fires that burn out, no more sun that sets. There will be no more hidden sin. There will be no more concealed shame or shrouded truth. Everything, everything will be brought to the light. And just like the reformers felt as the true gospel was going forth after centuries of darkness, so we shall feel after this dark world, after darkness, light. This has been the case from the very dawn of creation. Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the earth. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. He didn't leave his earth, his creation, in darkness. And God saw that the light itself was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. You see, from the very beginning, God contrasted darkness from light. Now, in this world, we would never fully understand light without darkness. Now, think about that. Often, when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, when darkness seems to be overtaking us, there is only one place to look, and that's to the light. In this life, we are assaulted by the powers of darkness. And oftentimes, as believers, we don't realize that the temptations found in the pit are meant to drive us to the light. And we know what that light is as believers. We know that that's the light of the world. We know that's Jesus. We come back to the light. After Job had seemingly lost everything, everything was taken away from him he says this God reveals the deep things of darkness and brings utter darkness 
to light. The Bible appears to show that out of darkness, out of coming out of darkness, appears the greatest delight we'll ever have, the greatest joy we'll ever have, and the greatest truth we'll ever have. Now, before you and I were children of this light, sons of this light, as Luke 16 tells us, we were once those who walked in darkness. I think it's important to answer, how does the Bible characterize those who walk in darkness? And how does the Bible characterize those who walk in the light? The reason we're doing this tonight is because I fear that some of us are still wandering around in the dark. So I'm going to give three characteristics of those who walk in darkness, and then we'll end by driving our minds to the light. First, those who walk in darkness are content, are content in their sin. As a young boy, I was scared, I was frightened, I feared the dark. But as I grew older, I loved the dark. And the reason why I loved the dark was due to the fact that I loved my sin. It was easier to hide in the dark. I could get away with things in the dark. I was content with the dark. Matthew 5, right after Jesus is going through one of his darkest seasons on earth where he's being tempted by Satan, he begins his earthly ministry. The Bible tells us that he goes out to a people who dwelled in darkness. They were lovers of their sin. Another translation is they sat in their sin and in their filth sat in their filth, caring nothing about the righteousness of God. These people, like you and I, don't realize that true contentment can't be found in the dark. Actually, they will search the world for treasures, only to be left dissatisfied. They will want the new job with the new money, because they think that will temporarily distract them from God. But eventually, they'll be proven out to be workers of lawlessness. Things, the things of the dark, really lull us to sleep. We will be content with the latest show, the latest movie or game, and then wake up one day realizing, realizing that we are far from God. In all reality, those who are content with their sin become the most perverse people seeking any type of sexual immorality that will fill their desires. At night, you're knocking at the door of the adulterous woman. It first starts with something innocent, a phone call. Then six months later, you're addicted to pornography. Your marriage is in shambles. And that love you thought you had for God was really never there. That's why Romans 1 says that God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worship, this, and worship the creature rather than the creator. When we walk in darkness, we are like dogs returning to their vomit. We are heading down a path of destruction. It's impossible. It's impossible to change your ways when you are so in love with the dark. Honestly, those who are content with their sin look at the gospel as a pleasure destroyer. They don't see Christ as 
the forebearer of their sin, taking away their sin. Rather, they see him as a vindictive dictator looking to spool their fun. It's important to ask yourself right now, it's important to ask yourself this, what is bringing you the most pleasure? Where are you the most content? And then it's important to remind yourself that those who dwelled in darkness, those who sat in their filth in Matthew 4, the Bible also tells us that they have seen a great light. That light has dawned. Now, if you're seeing this great light and still turning to the darkness, destruction, destruction, hell is paving the path of your thoughts, your deeds, your wickedness. Second, those who walk in darkness love their ignorance. First Corinthians, John's been preaching through that, and I would encourage you to come back, listen to this sermon series that John's going through. First Corinthians says that the Jews sought signs and the Greeks wisdom. They wanted something other than Christ. But Paul preached Christ and him crucified. You see, the world wants to really explain Christ away. They want you to remain ignorant to the things of God because they want your company in the dark. Honestly, those who walk in the dark hate the light. Their hate makes them dumb. They may be able to recite the best poetry, develop the best technology, or even give profound speeches, yet they are ignorant and blind men walking around in dark. We were, we were all once this ignorant. You and I were once this ignorant. Romans 1 also says this, that we all know that there is a God. He says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They became ignorant and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Now maybe the most ignorant thing the most ignorant thing about those who walk in darkness is actually that they believe that they are good enough to enter into heaven. That they are good enough by their own standard to walk into heaven. They themselves possess a righteousness apart from Christ. That they are the hero of their own story. They give themselves really the work that's only meant for God. They believe that their own righteousness is good enough to save them. But what they don't realize, what they don't realize is that their works will be the very thing that damns them to hell. Galatians 3 tells us this. He says, Paul says, Cursed be everyone, everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, if we were all honest tonight, you are honest with yourself. You would know that your very best works, your very greatest works, bear witness against the light and against you. When we live in darkness, we actually think and believe that because we're not as bad as the next person, then that means that we, in some way, deserve eternity. This is ignorance. This is ignorance. The only way we deserve eternity is based on someone else's work based on Christ's work. 
Thirdly, those who walk in darkness are creators, they're inventors of error. Spurgeon said, if men are not God, they will be taught from the school of Satan. This school, this school loves error. In Psalm 88, we see that the psalmist's closest friend was darkness, it was lies, it was error. Satan thrives on lies. Satan will tell the man in his youth that he's too young to believe and the man late in his years that he's too old. Every false doctrine, every heresy was born in the dark. It's twisted by Satan and whispered into the ears of man. Satan wanted Adam to believe that he could be God, which diminished Adam's dependence on God. There are many errors in our current climate. People right now are putting their hope in their class, their gender, their race, their wealth, or even their sexual orientation. The atheist says there's no God, so do what you want. The agnostic says there is a God, but can we really know him? The deist says that scriptures are not enough, so look to natural revelation for answers regarding God. The open theist questions God's sovereignty and control over the things he creates and that you yourself determine your own destiny. These errors are creating a false sense of hope. They're creating more and more darkness and are driving men away from the light. When we get down to the foundational truths of the gospel and we get those things wrong, we are slowly breathing in the fumes of error until we drift softly off to sleep. Then we wake in hell. Those who walk in darkness are open. They're open. If you're loving your sin... Walking in darkness, you're open to error about God. You want there to be error about God and with God. You want to say there is no absolute truth because if you say there's no absolute truth and God isn't absolute, there's no accountability for you. They love the error of their ways because they ultimately hate God. Now I want to transition and... There are many more characteristics of darkness, but I want to turn our attention to those who walk in the light. And I'll finish tonight by taking us through two characteristics specifically of those who are sons of the light. First, the sons of the light will see and hate their sin. They will see and hate their sin. Those who have the Holy Spirit working within them, those who have been regenerated, those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, also have the light of God that shines upon them. And this light gives them knowledge of their sin. Psalm 18 says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. And how God lightens our darkness is that he gives us a unique knowledge about our sin and a unique knowledge about our Savior. Without knowledge, without knowledge, everything else is pointless. In the simplest forms, this is the doctrine of illumination. It's the turning on of the light bulb, so to speak, in the mind of the unbeliever. And how God enlightens the unbeliever to their sin is ultimately through his word. It is through the preaching of his word. That's why it's important to be here 
as much as the doors are open because you want to be illumined. You want, you want to be enlightened to your sin. You want to know where you can repent, where there's still repentance left in your body. You want to be here. It's through the preaching of his word. It's through the reading and praying of his scriptures. And what we see in his word is ultimately this wonderful, beautiful picture of our Savior. In John 1, we see that Jesus is the light of the world that has come to shine into our darkness. There was a veil over the hearts of men. Moses couldn't see God, but now God has been revealed to us in the person of Christ. We see him fully. They were incapable of understanding. But when Christ came, when Christ came and made himself the light of the world to men, his light cannot be put out like a flickering candle. There's no way you could hide this candle under a bushel. No. There's no way you can hide this hope. He came as the all-encompassing radiant light that has power over sin, over darkness, and over death. And Jesus doesn't come merely to reveal your dark sin, but he came to destroy the power of sin in your life. He didn't come here. He didn't come here just to die for us to be content with our sin. For us to be content in the sin that we commit. But he came here so that we would hate sin. We would hate the things of this world. 1 John 1, talking about light, I would be remiss not to mention this passage. 1 John 1 says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Zero darkness. He reveals all, he, he, he not only reveals all darkness, he destroys all darkness. And if we, if you and I, if you and I say we have fellowship with him, with this light, while we still walk in darkness, the Bible tells us that we lie and do not practice the truth. What this is saying is that no longer should the believer be satisfied by the treasures of this world. No longer should the believer be measuring his worth by his job, by his status in the community. He should be laboring for the glory of the Savior. No longer is the believer content with any type of sexual immorality. No type of sexual immorality. For we know that the bridegroom has come and he has died and he has redeemed a people for their sins. Out of their sins. Friends, we are now those who hate sin. Wish for it to be cast off from us, no matter the cost to us. If the light of God has or is right now revealing to you sin, don't go, an, don't go another day without confessing it. Don't go, don't go tonight to that hiding place. The one who is bringing this to you is the Holy Spirit. He's making you knowledgeable of your sin so that you would cast it off. Romans 13. This is a beautiful picture of this. He says, the night, Jesus has come to be the light of the world. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, not in sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make zero, no provision for the flesh. Don't gratify its desires. I've been looking through a great work this week. John Owen, in his great work called The Glory of Christ, says, On Christ's glory, I would fix my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither away in my eyes, and I will be more and more and more crucified to this world. When we behold, when we see the light of Christ that has come into this world, we should hate our sin. We should make no provision for the flesh. We should despise it. Lastly, the sons of light will be filled with wisdom. No longer are the ignorant thing, no longer are we ignorant to the things of God. But since the light has come into the world and we have been illumined, we have been enlightened in our minds, we have now been given the wisdom from above. You have been enlightened to this glorious salvation. You know that there is no greater message than Christ and him crucified. You know that there is no more important thing for a person to do than to believe upon Christ and be saved. That's the great gospel we preach. You know that one cannot be justified apart from faith in Christ. God is now giving you a new heart, giving you a new mind. He's enlightened every aspect of your mind and your body so that you would go forth and preach this great gospel. The very fact that God has enlightened your mind to belief in Christ is more wisdom than this world will ever know. What brings God honor, praise, and glory is when we let this light shine, not in this trivial way. Not, that, not in this, we go out into the world and sing that song where, uh, <laughs> help me out, y'all can tell me, the light of the world song. No, this is a true light. Philippians 2 says that we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and that we now get to shine as lights amongst them. Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount that we are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. However, we all know that we still live in a fallen world with fallen creatures. In this life, we will never have perfect wisdom. Yet one day, yet one day, and this is where we're going to bring it back to heaven, one day we, we will shine brighter than ever before. Think about the sight of the glory of Christ in heaven compared to that of earth. It will be clear. There won't be any foggy mess without any imperfection of doctrine. We will be seen fully by our Savior and we will behold our Savior fully without any more shame. Nothing, absolutely nothing, will draw our attention away from his glory. Though we are hindered by our flesh here, there in heaven, we will have minds that don't drift off. 
we will have ears that aren't faint of hearing. We will have eyes that never get tired. In heaven, we will continually be praising our God, never needing rest. Don't you know that that's going to be a glorious day? That is going to be a glorious picture. We are surrounded by darkness here. But one day, that darkness will be gone. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, God. You have given us this great light in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray even now, Lord, that you would allow us, Father, to hope in that great light, to fix our minds and our hearts, God, that you would even continually enlighten our life, God. Give us more and more wisdom so that we can fight the powers of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Father, help us tonight to love the body by going through this meeting, Father. Help us to rejoice even, even in the things that we're about to hear in regards to the budget. In Jesus' name, amen.